This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win... Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the Chelsea Fancast, the 50 years of Chelsea. Uh, This is the 2002-2003 season, part two. We've already done all the games up till, uh, you know, and including December, the first half of the season. We're now about to regale you with tales of the second half of the season. Uh, But just to remind you where we are, Chelsea are actually doing all right. Um, In spite of our grumbles, they're, they're currently second in the league, four points behind Arsenal having played a game more. But, you know, we shouldn't grumble about that. That's pretty good, let's be honest. You know, there's, uh, as I said, four points behind Arsenal. We're we're level with United uh, and three ahead of Everton. Uh, but, yeah, you know, we're doing all right in the league. Uh, we're out of the UEFA Cup. We got knocked out in round one. Uh, very, ign- ign- well, humiliatingly, really. And uh, we've just got knocked out of the... Uh, of the Worthington Cup, the League Cup by Man United with the Diego Forlan goal. So what happens in January, in the first week of January? Well, usually uh, we have the FA Cup. Uh, but actually before that, uh, we have a match against the Arsenal away. Our bogey team. This is one of those matches. I mean, I, I describe this, Mark, as a mad match. I mean, it starts with a Desai own goal. Uh, a Bergkamp tried to claim it, but it was a Desai own goal on nine minutes. Then Van Bronckhorst... I mean, then it, it takes 81 minutes for the second goal of the game. A match we lose 3-2, for those who, who are unaware of this fact. With a Van Bronckhorst shot from way outside of the area. Then Henri breaks away and uh, scores a minute later because basically Kudacini just lets the shot meekly go under him, having kind of half saved it. His worst mistake of the season. His worst mistake of the season. So we're now uh, 3-0 down uh, after 82 minutes. 
Three minutes later, Mario Stanich gets one back from a corner with a header. And then a minute later, Emmanuel Petit scores one. So basically, you've, you, we just have one, two, three, four goals in five minutes. Uh, we get two two goals back in two minutes to make it 3-2. And even then, we could have equalised in the death and made it 3 all. I mean, what a mad old game this was. No, d- definitely. And I think the frustrating part about this game is despite all the things we said in the first half of the season, it's the poignant point that we were second in the table. We were four points behind Arsenal going into the new year. So this was your six point a game. You know, if we won this game, we'd be a point behind Arsenal. We didn't, we lost. So we were therefore seven points behind Arsenal. So a real opportunity missed that we could have made ground on Arsenal, despite some of the things that had gone wrong, you know, in the first half of the season. But yeah, mad last five minutes. Four goals in the last five minutes. Absolutely crazy. But again, it's Arsenal. Again, we've got beaten by them. Yeah. We're sick of the sight of them by now. Total bogey side, aren't they? I mean, it's a very good point to make at this juncture, really, because you're absolutely right. I mean, had we had we beaten them, we'd have been a point behind them. They would have we would have still played a game more. But I mean, and this is what I'm trying to remember. I mean, I don't remember really at any stage of this season thinking we're going to go and win the league here. And yet, and I think this is really, this is a really interesting point. If this was at any time from maybe 2004-05, if you'd have said to me in January, we've got to go to Arsenal away and if we win that, we'll be one point behind in the league I'd say I reckon we might win the league title this year there was no I don't remember any point in this season thinking we're going to win the league I really I just didn't I don't think I ever thought that did did either of you two think that because I mean if you look at it on paper we bloody well should have been you know we were in contention here and we had such good players yeah as well yeah but you didn't I mean I know you're a bit of a negative Nora at the best of times but I mean did you think did you think we were going to win the league no, no, not with Ranieri's manager, no, ever. No, Mark? No, I'm the same, and you know me, I'm an optimist by nature. I don't think any point during this season did I think, ooh, we're in with a shout here. We just dropped, at the wrong times of the season, too many silly points. And again, by now, I wasn't sure Ranieri was the answer. You know, fed up with the tinkering, fed up with 65-minute substitutions. I don't think, you know we would have ever won the league with him. I know he went on the league, win the league at Leicester. There was just something not quite right. This was a great crop of players and we didn't make the best of what we had. And yeah, as I said, you know, you look at it on paper and we are so in it. I mean, you know, we are in the best position to win yeah. the league than we've been in since probably 99, 98, 99. Or was it? Ni- yeah. But, right no, but 99, I thought we'd win the league. Yeah, me too. Absolutely thought, I absolutely, Christmas 1998, absolutely convinced going into the new year even getting up to march and april because we only fell away towards the end i thought we'd win the league yeah i agree with you yeah. it was the, the optimism was enormous under yeah. when uh, in that environment yeah yeah well we were winning stuff too like cups and european cups as well so i think that instills that kind of confidence in you doesn't it whereas i just and, and do you know what here's the thing and i i, I mean I'm, I'm trying to figure it out i mean it's quite hard to remember you know back 20 years to how your state of mind was but I think this has a lot to do with Arsenal you know we beat Liverpool for fun 
in those days. We beat United for fun in those days. Liverpool were nowhere in the league, as we know. But United, it was, I mean, you know, the league was basically either Arsenal would win it or United would win it. We would beat United for fun. We had a better record against United than anybody. So they held no fear for us. But Arsenal, you played Arsenal in those days and you just fear. I, I was in fear. I just thought, we, could, we can't beat these bastards. They just had the sign over us. They really did. And I think maybe that was it. And I think this defeat in, in the season, arguably, if, 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 if there was any Chelsea fans or even the team that thought they might win the league this season, I think that killed it. Not just, you know, in terms of the fact that it widened the gap, but I just think mentally we, they had such an, a number over us at that at that time, and we'll talk more about this in a minute. But interesting that I hadn't really thought about that before. Now uh, the next match, of course, as befits tradition, uh, is of course the uh, FA Cup third round. And in the FA Cup third round this year, we are drawn uh, on the Saturday uh, the because that was the New Year's Day match, the Arsenal match. I mean, you know, top of the table clash, what a humdinger that was. Anyway, 4th of January, Saturday, 4th of January, we've got Middlesbrough at home in the FE Cup. Uh, and uh, this really was notable for uh, an absolutely stellar appearance and performance by dear old Mark Halsey, who uh, manages to send off Carlo Cudicini for being fouled by Stamford Bridge's favourite favourite player from the north, Dean Windarse, who basically pushed him into the goal like Nat Lofthouse of old, and apparently, Carlo was sent off for kneeing him. I mean, it was just unbelievable. I mean, Chelsea appealed it. Uh, the red was upheld, but apparently, uh, Cudicini didn't have to serve a suspension, and it point and it wouldn't be held again. I mean, talk about flagrant hypocrisy, Mark. I mean, he should never have been sent off for that. It was unbelievable. Oh, dreadful decision. Uh, I, I, I was at this game, and obviously. Um... I'm in the Matthew Harding lower, and people just could not believe what they saw. Clear, clear as day, you know, Windars bundles Cudicini into the goal, uh, and Cudicini gets up, uh, and how's he sends him off? You know, just bizarre incident. And even after the game, when Cudicini gets in, in, in interviewed, he's like in a state of shock. He cannot believe. He said, all I did was, you know, protect myself, put my knee up to protect myself. And that's the strange thing as well. They uphold the reds. Yeah, couldn't possibly sort of say the referee got it wrong, but he doesn't have to serve a suspension. So if it's a red card, it's a red card. He serves suspension. So it, it's almost like you know, um, admitting you know that he was wrong without admitting he was wrong. Poor decision. The uh, what was interesting about it, I felt, was that Windass first of all is is actually committing foul and serious no. play because he's rushed in on the vulnerable goalkeeper. Um, he didn't just sort of nat loftus him into the net. He he smashed him into the net. He just made no attempt to play the ball at all. So, in fact, he's the one who should have been sent off. Um, and when you look back at the video, I thought it was that Carlo had raised his knee and he it had gone into Windass. In fact, his knee just went, his leg went beside him and he didn't have any contact with, with his leg at all. Um, and it was, uh, I think it was the... The linesman who gave it, who clearly the angle wasn't terribly good as well. And in the end, you just think there's complete lack of common sense from referee and his assistant. And they're really stupid. Yeah, that's the best way to sum all that up. I mean, just for the record, Mario Stanich scored another goal, um, which uh, meant we beat Middlesbrough 1-0 and therefore 
went through to the next round. And I'm curious. Did you say he had a good good season, Stanich? He, well, he, was, he was in and out. He was swapping with Zenden. Um, was it Ranieri's quoted as saying he didn't like the idea of playing with two wingers, so he only played with one winger. So it meant that Zenden missed some, and then Stanich missed some, and then Gronkia missed some, despite all of them playing reasonably well. I think you said Zenden played better at the beginning of the season. But um, well, uh, we, I, I was bemused as to why Stanich was Stanich was chosen over Gronkia. Well, we, so, we, we uh, could we could do all this at the end, but I, I I quite like to do it now and talk about Mario Stanich because um, he played a total of twenty five games this season, uh, five of them off the bench, not many. Therefore, he did score six goals actually, which in the scheme of things makes him one of the highest scorers. Uh, I'm I'm ashamed to say, Carlton Cole scored six. Uh, Bolo, oh, John Terry scored six, Gronkior scored five, Frank scored eight. So, you know, that's pretty good performance from midfield. But I think, it, I mean, so, you know, Stanich would come up with a, a brace in a couple of games. You know, he, he does this quite a lot during the season. Well, clearly not that much because he only scored six, but you kind of get my drift. I, I, I don't know about Stanich. I mean, I, I mean, he played left back in emergency, didn't he, earlier in the season. I think he was an absolutely superb player. For us, but I still think he never—he was never the same after that injury, and I think it was next season that he retired, didn't he? Because he—he uh, he, he just couldn't really get over it, and I just think it's tragic. You know, he made that amazing start on his debut, scoring that goal against West Ham, two goals against West Ham, but then he got injured pretty much the game after, and I don't think he was ever really the same player. But a whole—a more wholehearted player, you—you you are seldom going to find. And I, one of the things I used to love about Stanich was when he was out for protracted periods of injury. He would always be at the home games and he would all, you'd see him standing. Not He wouldn't be sitting on the bench. He would be standing by the tunnel in his suit, absolutely wrapped by the game and encouraging the players. I think he was hugely underestimated, underrated. But frankly, I think the injury did for him, JK. And I don't think we ever saw the best of him. And I think that's very sad. You'd see little moments of skill, wouldn't you? He'd beat two players and he'd centre it. But I wondered if he was playing in his best position as well. I wondered whether he wasn't really a winger. It was and definitely he not a winner. Play. Well, well, that was the position that he was being played in by Ranieri because he'd, he'd play, um, he wouldn't play Gronky and he wouldn't play Zenden if Stanich was playing. So I presume that was the role he was supposed to fulfil. What I liked that, about him was his hair. He'd have a different hairstyle quite a lot, which um, he'd either have it sort of sumo wrestler or, or, or a ponytail, yeah, or even I think he shaved it once. It, it was sort of... Uh, a little stubble so um we'd occasionally have difficulty working out who it was you know who's that one oh yeah. but the number is right he's not stanich is it well he's done something to his hair oh yeah yes yeah what's he gonna do next time yeah but yeah it's interesting isn't it because you know uh morris um hang on let me get this right yeah morris de lucas Zenden and Stanich all played roughly the same amount again and petit played a bit more but he would be more in the middle anyway. But, you know, I don't think Ranieri could either, A, figure out who he liked most out of Morris, uh, maybe even Lasso actually, uh, Zenden and Stanich, or he was just trying to, you know, rotate. But it, it, it didn't work, clearly didn't work. And I think he should have nailed his colours to the mask. I mean, people can come back to me and say, well, he did nail them to the mask, Chidgy, silly old ass, because Gronkiar played, well, see, even Gronkiar, well, he played 25... 35, uh, 39 games, so 14 of them were sub. So maybe Gronkior got more of a bite at the cherry. Uh, Soxie, 34 games, you know. 
it's an it's a bit of a bit of a, a mystery that one but i do i do think that's that, that that i i think i think it was the injuries that did for stanich more than uh more than Ranieri, to be honest, but there you go. He did score some goals for us this season. Now, Mark, on the 9th of January, something very important happens at the club, which will have huge ramifications for the end of the season, nay, the future of Chelsea itself. Indeed. Uh, and obviously, I was in the fortunate position, still with my sources within the club, and despite people saying, oh, no, everything's all right, why do you keep slugging off Ken Bates? Uh, the club were in financial difficulties, and we talked about it at the start of the show. Uh, first sign of that was um, the club makes an announcement to the stock exchange on the 9th of January that an unnamed Middle East investor was due to become Chelsea's second biggest shareholder in Chelsea Village. And they were going to invest £10 million in a new share issue. So Ken Bates would still be the biggest stakeholder or speaking on behalf of the biggest stakeholder. We'll do that on the next show. Um, but this investor would have 15% of the shares in Chelsea Village. Now, what that did on the back of that announcement, because Chelsea Village shares were going down faster than West Ham were this season, uh, the share price actually rose briefly from 18.5p to 20.5 pence. But you have to remember, when Chelsea Village share price peaked, it peaked at £1.66p. So the 18.5 share price was also another indicator that all was not well financially at Chelsea Football Club. Yeah, that eventually would mean, and yeah, we'll talk about the next show, Roman Abramovich taking over. The Eurobond debt was getting nearer. It had to be paid off by 2007. So Trevor Birch has come in as the new chief executive. And basically, this is a statement Birch made at the time. It's a balancing act, and we think we can achieve this without selling our best players. I can see why people have tried to bracket us with Leeds. When you talk about the size of the debt, well, yep. Trevor, we owed more than Leeds, and Leeds were selling players. For the next couple of years, we are attempting to consolidate and balance the books. And the key to that, which I'll come on to, is reducing the wage bill. And obviously, I said earlier, Leeds had sold Ferdinand, they sold Robbie Keane. And in this month, Leeds sell Woodgate, Fowler, Bowyer, Decourt. You know, Leeds are offloading people 24-7. Yeah. And now, what Birch was trying to do, he was trying to sort of prevent a Leeds-type scenario by delaying repayments of that Eurobond payment for a further 12 months, but also other payments as well. We owed money on Petit, we owed money on Zenden, we owed money on Gallus. And if you know how, as we do, how transfers are structured, they're usually structured over a three or four year period. And in the June or July of each year, you pay an installment on that tra transfer. Um, and obviously we've been active in the transfer market. And I think what Birch was basically saying is those days might be gone. And again, if you read, um, and I think Rick wrote it, the official biography, um, and I think they interviewed Birch for this. Uh, and what Birch was doing at that time, obviously he was trying to restructure the bond and the payments for it. But the trouble is about the financial sector. When that happens, the financial community smell blood. So they're not football people, they are finance people. So if Birch is trying to restructure the debt before the next July payment, something's up. At the same time, Ruth Harding, who was since remarried and now is called Ruth Geist, um, was asking for a repayment, obviously, of the loan from the Matthew Harding estate as well. So they had the pressure of the Eurobonds, trying to restructure that debt. The transfer debts they were owed that had to be repaid. The Harding estate asking some of their money back. Yeah. But the interesting thing, and this is the key thing about what Bert said, yeah, 
Um, and why he was trying to restructure the debt for, for 12 months was four players' contracts were falling in over this period of time. Marcel Desailly, Gianfranco Zola, Petit, and the infamous Winston Bahada. And Birch's plan was they would be removed from the wage bill. So those contracts would not be renewed and those players would go. So huge wage falls off the debts. And basically what Birch was trying to do is like all four of these players will go in 12 months time. Give us 12 months grace. Yeah. Uh, and that's what he was trying to do all the way up to obviously, you know, when a branch comes in in July of this year, we were in serious financial difficulty at this time. And the mysterious Middle East investor never invested in the end. Mm. What put us even in more difficulty? I mean, I, you know, again, I, I don't really remember worrying about this or even vaguely aware. Knowing of about this. it. Uh, yeah. Were you the same, JK? Yeah. yeah. No idea. No. Well, the best the best bit is, um, and yeah, it's a forewarner to next week's show, forerunner. Actually, Bruce Buck is also interviewed for the official biography book. Yeah, and he actually says he didn't know about it either. You know, as a fan, I was naive. I knew the club had financial problems, but I didn't know the specifics. Yeah, you know, now he's a bloody lawyer by trade. You think he'd have some kind of idea? Yeah. Well, I mean, and- I, I feel a bit better the fact that I wasn't. I mean, I, I remember Mark being much more aware of this before <laughs> the final match against Liverpool. Yeah, but. Um... But not around this time, and and I'd hearing Buck say that I'm I, I'm kind of with Buck on that. I I didn't yeah. really worry at all. I didn't realise that the Champions League was so important to get into the Champions League in order to uh, to satisfy the bond people that there was money coming in because they thought that twenty million would be just by taking part and being involved yep. in the TV rights that you would make twenty million, so they could see that there was a um, a source of income coming in. So it was, I didn't realise that was such a lifeline. I had no yeah. conception. But what we, what we also did, what um, Trevor Birch also did, he, he's done, he did what Barcelona has done now as well. Yeah. So future TV re- revenues, he borrowed against those TV revenues. So again, another reason why we had to get Champions League because we'd, al- we'd already spent the money. So what TV money we're getting for the following season, we'd borrowed against it. So if we hadn't gotten the Champions League, God knows what would have happened. But we'll talk about that later. We'll, we'll save that for the end, yeah? <laughs> they offered uh, uh, Lasso uh, a derisory contract as well for the uh, for his renewal for the last just yeah. a year. Uh, but then he managed to turn it round because they bought Wayne Bridge. And um, uh, uh, and he got a, a, a payoff for agreeing to go as part of the deal That's to right. Wayne Bridge. That's right. Indeed, he did. Another another Chelsea player going to Southampton who didn't give a shit about it. Speedy Dixon. You should, Osgood. 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 Well, no, Ozzy did all right at Southampton, of course. He won on the FA Cup. But, uh, That's true. You talked to Kerry about his time at Southampton, and he's almost yeah, embarrassed yeah. to talk to you about it. Yeah. But anyway, that's for another day. Um, next up is one of my favourite matches at Stamford Bridge for completely and utterly bizarre reasons. <laughs> but this, this, is, this is when we beat Charlton. Uh, 4-1 at home on the 11th of January. Uh, and the interesting thing about this match, th- those of you, they will never forget it. I mean, we basically, we had been having problems with the pitch. I suspect finance, finances had the part to play in this because we hadn't been able to reseed it and re relawn it, if you like, regrass it. Uh, and in order for it to play relatively evenly, we 
it we basically covered the entire pitch with sand and it looked like we were playing in a sand pit um but we i mean you know you would have thought this would have hampered the players and they wouldn't have been I mean, it was very hard it was compacted very hard so it's a bit like playing on tarmac in a way and uh we were brilliant we played like brazil uh gallus cracking opening goal on 11 minutes i uh good johnson scored another great goal on 34 uh, you all got a penalty on 42 for them. Lasso scores uh, on 54. Uh, oh, sorry, Jimmy, Jimmy Floyd has my open scoring on three minutes with a penalty. But we played like Brazil. Uh, and, and and I thought, well, there's no problem there. But not, not Charlton. Charlton were absolutely outraged and complained to the Premier League, anybody who would listen, lodging a complaint saying that it had been an unfair advantage. Of course, my feeling was, well, we were able to play on it all right. So maybe you should have a look at yourselves, JK. Um, mind you, that's the same theory whenever you have a sort of boggy pitch, which stops people from playing, isn't it? Really, I, I felt that they had a they had an argument because it was actually I felt it was similar to playing on. I, I don't remember there being much bounce in the pitch. Was that right? I thought it was. Uh, there wasn't it, a lot, but we pl- we played brilliantly. That no, we night. were we were excellent. We were completely excellent. I mean, the football yeah. was astonishing. One touch pass and yeah, big no, I agree. Bush. I agree. Great, great smashes into the corner and. Um, um, except for Sox's shot that Kylie just let in for no apparent reason. Uh, the one who went like that. Yeah, he, he, he palmed it. He yeah. palmed it into the net. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, rather yeah, beautifully. Yeah. But you know, we were, we were. Um, it was a great slick performance from from the team. It was terrific, absolutely terrific. And I wondered, it, in fact, we were saying at the time whether we should keep this pitch for the rest of the season. Not quite. Yeah. Yeah. It was that good. Mark, you must remember this one fondly. I I do indeed. Uh, and I think. I think Charlton's um, appeal was on the, the grounds. I think they were liking it to AstroTurf. Yeah, they were saying that it was a legal service because it wasn't a real pitch because it had no grass <laughs> in it. it. It was an artificial pitch. Yeah. But it was the same condition for both sides. It was actually one of our best performances of the season. Mm. And it was just it was just strange. And there wasn't a blade of grass on there. It was literally like playing beach football. Yeah, and we played really well on it. Yeah, yeah. we did, we did, we did, mm. definitely. Mm. So there you go. Uh, next up, we've got Man United away, where, of course, we historically do very, very well uh, at. Uh, but And to be fair, we were back in unlucky with this one. Ida opens a scoring on 30. Skulls equalises on 39. Um, during this match, there was a pass by Petit to Ida, which was just, it made me moist. I'll just leave it at that. It was absolutely superb. But the killer, the sucker punch, was the fact that on the 90th minute, Diego Forlan, remember him? Worthington Cup match, 1-0 defeat uh, in in December. Guess what? Forlan scores in the last minute. Now, this is Diego Forlan, who cannot score against anybody playing for Man United. He manages to score two this season against us. I'll give you an idea about how... I mean, the Man United fans kind of loved him because they could tell that he tried and they felt sorry for him. They used to have T-shirts saying, we were there when Forlan scored. This is how shit he was for United. He scores two winners against us this season, JK. It was, uh, he was, um, he was their Kesman, wasn't he, really? There was a great deal of sympathy for him. And he was quite, uh, um, he did a lot of work, to be fair. I remember watching him and thinking he's industrious. But yes, he didn't, um, uh, he didn't, um, impress very much but of course that's the kind of player who scores against us right, isn't indeed. it i mean he reminds me of so many chelsea strikers we've had down the past actually i mean i remember i remember people having i was there when torres scored after he scored against west ham in that that match in april um 
but yeah, in dust. I mean, you know, he was brilliant wherever else he played. I think he, when he when he played for Uruguay, he looked like a world class striker. When he went, and that's why they bought him, wasn't it? Yeah. Why they bought him? Yeah. I think he went back to Spain or Italy, and he was absolutely superb over there. But when he played for United, he was utter shit, and the same has happened so many times for strikers that we've had. But there you go. Typically, anyway, next round in the FA Cup is uh, away to Shrewsbury now. Uh, it was pretty routine, really. Zola uh, scored two superb goals. I mean, the second goal he scored was just an absolutely sublime chip. And uh, Jody Morris scored a beautiful curler in the 80th minute to make it 4-0. Carlton Cole had scored the second. It was nice to see Carlton getting on the score sheet again. My thought about this, Mark, was um, uh, we played a lot better, or this was a lot better, a much better match and result than when we used to play them regularly. <laughs> 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 uh, let me think. Have I ever seen this win at Shrewsbury? No, actually, no. yes. No, that's true. Oh no, I did. Uh, no, did I see this win at I'm trying to remember now. Yes, um, we won there in the 1985-86 season in the snow. Well, that was a rare occasion where I saw us win at Shrewsbury. You normally got beat up there. Yeah, yeah. Gay Meadow was not very gay for us, that's for sure. Uh, in the truest sense of the word, of course. Um, but there you go. Uh, so we're through to the next round. More of that later. We then, uh, well, we had, this is, I remember this match like it was yesterday. We got Leeds at home. Uh, again, as as uh, as Mark uh, was saying earlier on, Leeds are, are, are struggling at the moment. They're kind of mid-table at this stage, by the way. Uh, we're currently uh, fourth uh, at the moment. Uh, so we've dropped down a bit. Uh, this was a brilliant match, uh, a weekday match, bloody freezing. I remember it absolutely freezing, but just really special. One of those special kind of atmospheres you get at the bridge under the lights where it's a bit kind of murky. Against foggy, Leeds. Against Leeds, febrile atmosphere, not helped by uh, uh, Harry Kuhl uh, opening the scoring on 18 minutes. But uh, Good player, good player. Good player, Harry Kuhl. Very yeah. good player. Not bad for an Aussie. Uh, but on 57 minutes, one of the best goals I have ever been uh, able to see at the bridge live, I hasten to add, because I was, I had, being in gate 17, I had the, I mean, the weird thing about this, in my mind, I'm on the other side in the West Upper, which it can't be true, because I would have been on the other side in, in gate 17, but for some reason, my mind playing tricks with me, but a perfect view of Frank just whipping the ball across, absolutely brilliant cross. And Ida just connects with it with an overhead kind of stroke bicycle kick, which just cracks into the net. Bap, as Jonathan Kidd would say. And, uh, I mean, just sumptuous moment. That made it one all. Uh, Lukic then uh, uh, put them ahead. Teddy Lukic uh, on 66 minutes. Lamp scores on 80. And then there's a wonderful sumptuous own goal by Matteo on 83. Uh, Ida won goal of the month for that, quite rightly so. And he reckons it's one of the best he scored. Jonathan... Uh, you first. You you would have had a slightly scant view. Mark would have had a great view of it. So I'll ask him in a minute. But what do you think? Yeah, great, great goal. Wonderful one of the great, goal. one of the great Chelsea goals. One of the greats. It? But it, well, it's sort of typical Good Johnson goal though. He was a great player. Um, they had the appalling Alan Smith playing for them. Who uh, I, I never worked out how on earth he got away with being such a complete git. Was, he was such a nasty player. And they they only had Eric Backer booked, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, he, 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 whoever, he's just constantly kicking everybody and yeah. just constantly, he was just a nasty he was player. A thug. Yeah, absolutely thug. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it's always great beating Leeds, and um, they were depleted because they selling it. Bowles was a very good, um, not Bowles. What's his face? Um, Bowie. They, the Bowie, a very good competitor indeed, um, and. Uh, 
they sold him. They, they weren't the team they were. They still had a few decent players, though. They did, they did. Uh, but um, always a joy always beating. Always a joy beating Leeds. Always. Totally always. right. Now, Mark, you would have had a great view. If you were sitting where you sit now, you would have had a great yep. view of Ida's goal, right? Oh, great, great goal. Absolutely great goal. And I would agree, um, one of the best goals you'd see live at Stamford Bridge. I don't think Ida ever scored a better goal for Chelsea, and he scored some excellent goals for us. So... The other important thing about this goal, why I was particularly pleased for Ida, is just a few days earlier, he wasn't on the back pages, he was on the front pages, uh, where he he admits to blowing, which even now is a lot of money, but 20 years ago, he's probably even more money. He admits to blowing £400,000 over five months in a London casino. Uh, and obviously then you get all the stories where the press follow it up about professional footballers, more money than cents. So... He had a period where he was just front page news. Then they started focusing on other players with gamblers as well. So to be back page news was like a good end for what was probably a bad month for Ida Johnson. Yeah. Tremendous goal, but again, no better team to do it against dirty leads. I remember when he came back, I don't know if it was next season or the season after, but he, he, he'd seriously put on a bit of timber and uh, clearly not been, not been looking after himself over the summer. So I kept on shouting out at him, Oi, Ida, you've been eating too many whale burgers. Uh, I was he, had, watching... he, had, he had a bit of a Robert Fleck arse the following season. He, he, yeah. he did. He got a bit yeah. lardy, didn't he, the next season? But that was quite handy because then he was almost like Dalgleish at times where his arse was so big, he held the ball up really well. Yeah, and he was a good fall again with Hasselbank. I, I, I loved Ida. I really, great, really great did. Player. And great I mean, player. you know, he went off to Barcelona and had a pretty good uh, few seasons there. Quality, and quality we, player. And we didn't use him enough this season. No, we didn't. Yeah. It was criminal. Too, too many sub appearances. Same for Hasselbank as well. Indeed. Um, right. We now uh, leave leave January behind us. We're in fourth position, and uh, then we've got a home match against Spurs. And guess who scores for Spurs? Oh, of course, it would be Teddy Sheringham because he quite often did the swine. Zola equalised with one of, again, an, I, I call it a worldy free kick. I had an absolutely sumptuous view of this in, in Gate 17, but he whips it into the top corner to equalise. The most notable thing about this, of course, we didn't lose, which is always very important against Spurs, but that's now 26 league games unbeaten against Spurs, just for the record. Uh, we all know uh, that it goes on for quite a long time hence, which is even better. Uh, Birmingham away. Uh, we beat them 3-1. Zola on the score sheet. Actually, this is interesting because Zola, Johnson, and Jimmy are all on the score sheet. Uh, Savage gets a penalty uh, on 87 minutes, but clearly, as it's Robbie Savage, it doesn't count. But uh, I'm just wondering if they all started. Uh, let me have a look. Uh, Hasselbank came on for Franco. So, no, they didn't. So, he came on at half-time. Uh, so, even then, even though all three of them scored, they didn't all start. But this was a tendency, as we've established, he would take Zola off if he did start him around about 65 to 70 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, it, 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 yeah. It was, it was a constant. He just, it didn't matter how well he was playing. Well, In this season, he was playing JK, out of JK, he scores on the 44th minute. He substituted at half-time. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's bonkers, what? isn't it? Why? 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 I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, our decent form continues. We go away to Stoke in the next round of the FA Cup, the fifth round. Jimmy's on the score sheet again, as is uh, as is Gronkier. So we're through. Great, to the- great Gronkier goal, actually, it driving was. through for the net. Fantastic. And that was him all over, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. He was literally yeah. hit or miss. Yeah. Literally. I mean, I remember. I mean, I know this is racing forward to next season, but Martin and I were in the shed end, in the upper tier for this when he scored that goal against Monaco in the European Cup semi-final. And we saw it all the way in. 
but everybody thought it was a cross. And I, I bet you it was. Yes. I, think he, I just think he missed <laughs> sure it. Sure it was. I bet he it was a cross. Mi- he mishit it, it. He mishit yeah. it. Yeah. He, he hit it right-footed and it curled in. Yeah. And he, it, it was had a fade like my golf swing, you know. <laughs> so there you go. Anyway, bless his heart. I, I loved I loved, loved him. Forrest, we, as I said, we used to call him Forrest. Run, Forrest, run! Anyway, uh, we've next got Blackburn at home. You know what I was saying earlier on when we actually uh, we beat them 3-2 and uh, my mind was playing tricks with me because we invariably had a bad time against uh, Blackburn and it uh, and we certainly did uh, in this match although again we were very unlucky I thought we lost 2-1 uh, York scored uh, in the 86th minute uh, and then uh, Jimmy I think scored and... no Dunn scored didn't he he scored first yeah. on the 90th minute then Jimmy scored uh, on the night you know about a few With seconds a huge... later Whapped free kick, whapped that, free only, kick. that yeah. only Jimmy could score. Now, hang on a minute, not a bapped free kick, a whapped free kick. A whapped free so kick. So a whap is better than a bap, right? No, a whap I think is longer distance. Okay, all right, just checking. Uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is, we battered them, but we were missing chances left, right, and centre. As Mark was saying earlier, you know, they had York and Cole playing for them, so they weren't half bad. Of course, the really annoying thing, as Mark pointed out in his notes, because he works things like this out, if we'd have won this game, we would have finished third and wouldn't have needed the last day's stress against Liverpool. How did you work that one out, Mark? Well, those extra three points, uh, we wouldn't have needed those three. Yeah, We only needed the points to beat Liverpool. We only needed the points to stay ahead of Liverpool, but obviously we beat them. So we'd have been comfortably sort of like in, in third. Yeah. But isn't, isn't this along the lines of if, if my auntie had bollocks, she'd be my uncle territory? No, I suppose, yeah, but we think about it. Newcastle <laughs> finished the season with 69 points, and we finished the season with 67. Yeah. So we would have finished the season at 70 in third place. Oh, okay, fair enough. And if we hadn't lost twice to West Ham... We oh, no, oh, there you go. Oh, <laughs> there we go. Oh, yeah. Exactly. If only, if only, if only. And if we hadn't drawn nil-nil at Southampton, yeah. we might have finished second exactly in the table. Exactly that, exactly yeah. that. Anyway, yeah. we, we, end, we, are, we finish um, February in fourth place. Um, you know, we've been on a good run, actually, so it was a bit disappointing to lose at home to Blackburn. But as I said, I mean, you know, we were missing chances for fun and i'm just looking who started again uh jimmy started and ida started and zola came on in the second half for gronkia so we ended up having all three of them on at the same time and even so yeah but not for the whole game though no for the, for one half and we were well it was nil nil at half time i mean they scored their goals late on so i don't know one of those games it does happen let's be honest Right, next up, we've got Newcastle away. Um, Newcastle, uh, as Mark was kind of saying, you know, he, they are, they were they were above us, I think, at the table at the time. Yeah, they were in third. We were in fifth. Uh, so, you know, a decent side, as we, all, as we all know, Bobby Robson managing them. Anyway, we did all right. Went up there and we won 2-1. Not many did. No, um, we lost. I'm sorry. I'm completely... Yeah, lost. I, I, I'm, yeah. I know... Complete twat. I'm misreading my notes here. We lost two one. We went down to fifth. I know what's confusing me. I'm I've, I'm just you know peering over my glasses at my notes, seeing Jimmy Floyd has a moment because I forgot completely. He scored an absolutely brilliant own goal, didn't he? Yeah, a bullet header. It was a bullet header from a corner, wasn't it? And he's in, he's in, I mean, you know, we were saying earlier on, J.K. You could do a whole movie based on Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank looks, but the one, the look on his face was one of absolute <laughs> embarrassment, wasn't it? Yes. Well, there's another look we'll see when he scores a bizarre header just a bit later on, yeah. when he's completely bemused as to how on earth he scored it and why he scored it. So Indeed. we'll I mean, see that a bit later on. This uh, means we're down to fifth place. So we're out of the Champions League places. This is, of course, relevant now. 
Uh, but we're, we're down to fifth for the first time since October. So that's a bit... Okay. Uh, and uh, we've also got injuries to Petit and Lasseau and Desai. So it's a bit of a wobble. That's two defeats in a row, bear in mind. We then have Arsenal away in the FA Cup. Yes, because the great gods of football decree that we get to play the people that beat us in the final last season and the people that we can never, ever beat. And we play away. But... I thought we played really, really bloody well. Just to summarise it quickly. JT opens the scoring on three minutes, sending us into raptures uh, with a great header. Uh, Jeffers uh, equalises on 37 minutes. Terry Henry on 45. Lampard scores an equaliser on uh, 84 minutes. And uh, the scenes in the clock end, uh, Lampard jumps into the clock end. I mean, it was... Well, it's redolent of something that happens next season, but it was a mighty fine thing to see. Uh, in between all of this, uh, Terry Henry had a penalty saved uh, on 21 minutes. Uh, that was Kudachini's fifth penalty save out of 10. Bottom line, uh, it was just it was just brilliant. I mean, Mark, you were there, weren't you? I mean, regale us. Yep. Well, we, we, we had the whole of the clock game, and you just thought, this is the day. Yeah. Yeah, we, we started so well. Terry scoring after three minutes and on Henri missing that penalty. Which wasn't a penalty, by the way. Which wasn't a penalty either. So It was Jeffers yeah. throwing himself to the ground. Well, Correct. Like yeah. You did. you just think it's going to be your day. Yeah. So everything's going our way. And then that sort of complete change on the concourse. And obviously some people go down a bit early to try and get a half-time pint. Arsenal get two goals before half-time. So there's a complete change on the concourse. Well, I think it would have been an upbeat absolute. People think, oh, no, not them again. Uh, to be fair, Ranieri does tinker. You take Zola off, which obviously fans were not happy about at the time. Um, and we go from 4-4-2 to 4-4-1, which didn't work. It left Jimmy isolated. So guess what? He tinkers again. Did he, did he um, bring Zola back on? No, he brings either on. Yeah, and we go back to 4-4-2. Bearing in mind, fucking two. Yeah, yeah, we've gone Mike Bassett. Yeah, bearing in mind, for the first 40 minutes, we were 4-4-2, and we had the makers of Arsenal and playing really well. We lose it yeah, with that 4-5-1 nonce until 20 minutes ago. And then, as we say, we have those scenes with Lampard jumping into the Chelsea section when he equalises. So the atmosphere at the end of the game then was tremendous because you think we've come back, we've got a draw, we're taking them back to Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Rodney, this time next year. Yeah. What could go wrong? What could possibly possibly go, go wrong? wrong? Well, it was yeah. great. I mean, you know, we yeah. were... We, I mean, great I, performance. Yeah, I mean, I mean, JK, you were, fabulous. You, were fabulous there. you were there, well. weren't you, in the yeah. clock end? Yeah. 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 I mean, it was. It was. I mean, I, I sadly couldn't be, so I had to watch it on the box, but we were... We were brilliant, and well, that last period, we were the better side, and we, we you know, yeah. better luck, we might have knocked them out in that tie. Uh, we then go away to West Brom in the league, and our mate Stanich scores another goal, and uh, Zola scores on 56 minutes, a goal that many of you will remember, celebrated by him lifting his shirt to reveal a T-shirt or his vest saying uh, 300 wonderful times, because, of course, that was his 300th appearance. Um Yes. Wonderful goal as well. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Wonderful goal. Frank Zola back heels it. JF, uh, um, Jimmy Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank uh, passes it to him on, on a one-two and he just nicks it into the corner. Brilliant, brilliant goal. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match... And they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month. And you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. An unusual thing happens in this game. We go three... Four, one, two. So four, four, two, four, five, one. We're now three, four, one, two. One, two. He plays Zola in the one. He plays Good Johnson and Hasselbank in the two. And we beat West Brom comfortably. Who it took till March? Who'd have thought? Who'd it? have thought it? <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, man's a genius. If only we'd been doing the Chelsea fancast back in two thousand and three. You know. He could have listened to what we've been bloody saying because I'm sure we would have said the same thing then. But uh, but there you go. Now, uh, the next match is momentous more for what happened off the pitch than what happened on it as far as I'm concerned. But uh, I shall shall tell you this and let the others comment or just ignore it and treat it with the... uh, the, uh, the, uh, I don't know. I can't even remember the word now. But anyway, bottom line is we beat Man City 5-0 at home. Contempt is the word I'm struggling for. Uh, yeah, we beat Man City 5-0 at home. Um, as my memory serves, this was a a, Saturday, a Saturday. It was. It was a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. Uh, and at this time, uh, uh, my, you know, one of the... I, I wrote, funny enough, I've just written my CFC UK article, first one of the season, and I've, I, I, I've kind of gone into this season a little bit in terms of and last season really about you know coming back to the fold but the thing that the thing that was just most brilliant for me this season was when i used to go uh, you know infrequently occasionally in in the in the in the uh, kind of mid to late 80s and the early 90s invariably it'd be just with with one mate you know or even my own i didn't have a mob to go with i didn't grow up with it or you know you've heard the story millions of times before what i what i had discovered in the last season thanks to dr mark predominantly was a whole mob of mates to go to the football with and get drunk with in the pub before and afterwards. And most of them involved, well, Dr. Mart, obviously, 
uh, Psycho Phil and his sons, Chris and Stu, Chris and Stu, the Blues Brothers, who started the podcast with me, Smithy, who Mark knows very well, who'd been a mate of Phil's forever and ever and ever, uh, loads of people, Pablo, Ross Mooring, all the all the familiar faces and names that you all know from when we started the show. So I had my own mob to go to the football with. It was just, I, I mean, I just loved every second of it because it's not something I had experienced like nearly all of my mates had experienced for most of their time going to Chelsea. And I absolutely loved it. Uh, and I like a drink, as we all know. So Martin, we used to drink in the Wheat Sheaf pub in those days, opposite the old fire station uh, going down towards Parsons Green. Mm. And, uh, you know, I got there and, and for some reason, I don't know why, I had my drinking head on and I'd, I'd consumed five pints of Stella before the match which in a couple of hours is i mean you know if, if, if you're the oxford drinking machine, well if, if you're the oxford drinking machine as in pete that's not yeah. impressive he could probably do 10 but for me that was quite impressive and i was i was flying jk i was absolutely fucking flying and therefore a lot more vocal and mis misbehaved in gate seven gate 17 than i normally was i know you're misbehaving yeah you know and i i was i was like shouting cheering abusing i was just going absolutely mental martin thought this was hilarious he loved it and of course we we walloped them five nil and uh you know jimmy floyd hasselbank on 37 john terry 43 stanich another girl told you get some in twos uh 58 lamps on 69 and william gallus on 79 Jihai Sun got sent off on 90 minutes. Uh, but anyway, Martin was absolutely convinced that the reason that we had played so well and had won 5-0 was because I'd had five pints of Stella before the match and was therefore far more amusing and entertaining than I normally was because I was propelled by a, a huge amount of Stella. So for the rest of the season, he, he continued to make sure... If, if, if I was slowing down in the pub beforehand... He would be counting the pints and make sure that I'd had five pints before I, I went in. Sadly, it was never repeated. We didn't beat anybody 5-0, and I was never quite on fire like I was against City. I thought you were going to say that it, you had to have five so that they would score five. That's his idea. He thought this that was, was his idea. Yeah, he thought, you know, he thought the only reason we'd wallop them 5-0 was because he'd, you know, been instrumental in getting me shit-faced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he thought, there's, well, there's, there's truth in that. There's you know, logic in, in there, in, isn't there? Energy and vibes, yeah. There's logic yeah. in there. Sadly, it was it was never repeated. We didn't win 5-0. And I, even if, even though I drank five pints for every match, all that happened was I was just really drunk. Yeah, and not quite as on fire as I had been. No, you weren't as entertaining either. No, were you? definitely yeah. not. No, no, I'm, I'm not very entertaining on no pints, let alone five. So you know, but uh, hey ho. Um, I mean, it was a great performance, Mark, wasn't it? Not by me. I hasten to add. I'm talking about Chelsea. No, it sounds like it was a great performance by you as well. Yeah, it was actually, it? to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, great performance. Uh, the other significant thing about this game, bear in mind, for this show and the previous show, we've tinkered and talked tinkering to death. Ranieri keeps an unchained side. Yeah. Who knew? For the and first we, time. And yeah. we, yep, yeah, for the first time, and we win 5 0. But when we move on to the next game, sadly, he tinkers once more. Uh, afraid so, he does. It's the replay against Arsenal at home in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup. Now, if. Uh... I mean, there's some matches here. I mean, the City game, I always remember for the reasons that I've just gone into. I, I remember the I remember the Charlton game to the day I die because we played so well and it was just so weird playing on sand. This is one of, you know, I, I've done a few My Chelsea's with the boys. I, I, I can't believe, I, I can't remember what I chose, but this has to be one of the most disappointing matches I've ever been to uh, following Chelsea. And I, I think I, I, I was almost in tears at the end of it. This is how, this is how much it hurt, all right? 
remember that we'd, we'd basically were the better side against Arsenal in the 2-2 up at Highbury. We then get them back to the bridge. So I'm confident. I'm thinking, right, this time we're going to do these bastards. It's about time we did them. We cannot keep losing to them, period. And we cannot keep getting knocked out of the FA Cup by them. And if ever there was a match to go completely tits up, it was this one. And it started with a John Terry own goal on 25 minutes. Uh, nine minutes later, Sylvan Wiltord, who nearly always scored against us when he played for Arsenal, makes it 2-0. Uh, so that makes it pretty darn difficult. Arsenal are a good side, remember. Do, do not let us forget that. JT pulls one back on 79, but three minutes later, that horrible Lauren makes it 3-1. And, you know, good night, Vienna. Even more frustrating was that Pascal Sigan uh, got sent off on 66 minutes. So we were playing with 10 men. Although we were playing against 10 men for, you know, uh, a quarter of the match. But uh, it was so frustrating, wasn't it, Mark? Trade uh, so, and the, the other thing is, you wouldn't have been. I don't think you'd be sitting in your seat this night, because uh, no, again, I was, like, I was, I was uh, in uh, the East Upper. Yeah, because again, like the West Ham FA Cup um, game we talked about on the last show, Arsenal have the whole of the Matthew Harding for this game. Um, so again, you know, frustrating. They're sitting in our seats. Um, Ranieri, I'm sorry, it does feel like we're having a go at Ranieri tonight. Um, on the we back must, of we must, Mark. We yeah, have uh, to. But, but on the back of two wins and a tremendous performance at Highbury, where he's finally gone three four one two, he goes back to three five two and he benches Good Johnson. He he wanted sort of to pack the midfield out, so we had five midfield. It didn't work. And again, Sylvan Wilford, I think most fans would be sick of the sight of him. He played eleven games in his Arsenal career against Chelsea. He was never on the losing side. He oh. won six, he drew five, and he scored four goals against us. And I think most of those goals were probably in the FA Cup. Was was Desai injured? I can't remember. I can't remember. He, he didn't play, did he? It was Melchior. No, Terry. he was on the bench. He was on the no. bench. He benched him, that's right. But once again, I mean, for goodness sake. I mean, I, I saw, you thought at the time, I remember thinking, okay, it's because he's worried about the Arsenal midfield. But as you say, the last two games... We'd won 2 0 and 5 0, and we'd played excellently, particularly the Charlton game. You know, I mean, we were excellent. Sorry, the Man City game. We were excellent. So, what did he fiddle about with it for? Oh, anyway, la 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 la. We should have called him Uncle Ernie, really, shouldn't we? Yes, fiddle about, fiddle, fiddle about. about. Fiddle about, fiddle We won't shout when you fiddle about. Up with your night, down with the bedclothes, up with your nightshirt. Why didn't we sing that as a song? It would have been so. Angry. Why didn't we? Why didn't we? Probably because probably because we'd have been led out. Well, I don't know. We used to. We used to. We. I remember we used to sing a song about Wenger with a cheeky smile and a bag of sweets. Yeah. Well, yeah. perhaps you did. I didn't. Well, I did. You know, I, I hated Wenger. Yeah, but I didn't want to call him a paedophile. I know, but uh, I, I, you hadn't had five pints of Stella, mate. No, that's true. I forgot <laughs> emphasis to the fact. But it reaches. Yeah, it you re- won't get five goals. You'll get five five Wenger chants from exactly, you. Exactly. You know, it reaches parts other beers cannot reach in terms of singing really foul songs at opposition managers. But there you go. Oh, I know. I was going to say happy days, but it wasn't. I mean, it was. I mean, I remember this as a as an awful, awful, awful night. I mean, also had. I don't think we had any luck at all, to be honest. I mean, I know, I know, uh, Ranieri kind of shot himself in the foot. But I have to say, I mean, I, I left that game, J.K. Just, I, I was just, conv- I was, I, I swear to God, I'm a grown man. I was almost in tears. 
This yeah, is what no, this... the frustration was appalling. Yeah, and is... the, I just had a kind of dreadful, it's inevitable we're playing Arsenal about it. I suppose Spurs fans must have felt the same with playing us. You know, it was the, well, yeah. the, the same sign over them, you know, they're over us as we had over Tottenham. Well, I, I left, as I said, almost in tears, but I was convinced we'd never ever beat these fuckers. I just felt that was it. We're just never going to beat them, you know. I mean, they'd yeah. knocked us out of the cut three years in a row now, including the final. Yeah, yeah. The one bright spot on on the on, around this time, Mark, was the fact that JT became the first Chelsea youth product to get called up uh, by England since Ray Wilkins in 1976. No fair play to him. Yeah, absolutely. The other interesting fact about this game was David Ellery was referee. Yeah, 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 and he, he even helped us. He sent off Pascal yeah. Sagan with you know, a good sort of 25 minutes ago, and we didn't take advantage of it. No. No, just mm. so disappointing. So disappointing. And, uh, uh, I mean, we did bounce back, fair enough. And we we, 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 uh, we go to Sunderland in April uh, and uh, we we beat them 2-1. Uh, uh, Thornton opened the scrum with an absolute bel- belting shot, actually, on 12 minutes. Zola got one back on 52. And Colton Cole gets another goal on 85. Uh, Mark, you weren't there, were you? No, and it's strange when you're sort of putting the notes together for this show. I remember where I was. Um, there's a guy gone to Chelsea with three years called Des McNamara. And around about this time, he, he moved back home to Ireland. And he lives in a, a beautiful town in Ireland on the west coast of Ireland called Ennis. Uh, and he was 50. Um, so we went over to Ennis, all the boys, Neil Beard, who you know, part of the group, uh, for his 50th birthday. And I know it's commonplace now, but you think 20 years ago, um, yeah, with the sort of growth of Sky, um, you couldn't actually watch any games over here at three o'clock in the afternoon. Actually, you still can't. But yeah, in Ireland, on a Saturday afternoon, you would have your pick of Premier League games to watch. So we actually found a bar in Ennis that had the Chelsea game on at three o'clock in the afternoon. Whether it was a snide channel or not, I'm not too sure. Um, so good afternoon in Ennis. Um, and poor old Des, you know, it's his birthday. So we're one all, you know, Sunderland will take the lead, as you said, Zola's got one back. And I don't think there was much left in the game five minutes ago. I think it was heading for a draw. So he nips downstairs and there's, with the pub we're in in Ennis, is like right in the base of where the toilet was. And while he's away, Carlton Cole gets that blinding goal to win the game for us. So all he can hear is a noise upstairs and a commotion. And he comes back up and we tell him that Sunderland have scored and have won the game. Yeah. It does take him a while, for quite a while, to realise that actually we just made up and actually Chelsea won the game. Very cruel. Cruel. Oh, very, oh, very cruel. Absolutely. Cruel. On his birthday as well, JK. Very oh, cruel. even yeah. worse, Mark. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. yeah. yeah. A bit of fun with friends. Yeah. Probably they flashed, they flashed the score up on the screen a few times as well. Probably. No, he... no, he'd, le- he'd left the pub by then. He thought we'd lost. Oh, really? Yeah. We, we told him in the next pub, yeah. You bad, bad people. Yeah. Um, right. After that, we got Bolton at home. We win 1-0 and another Carlton Cole goal. Now, that's um, four league wins in a row for the first time this season. And at this point, we actually had the best away record. I mean, we, were we at home against Bolton? Have I got that completely wrong? Am I being a tit? We were at home against Bolton. We were. We were. But, but, we, but you're right about the, rain, the away record. Yeah, we, yeah, did we had the, a good yeah. away. We had the yeah. best away yeah. record in the league at the time. The other we thing, were fourth. We were fourth. We were fourth. Uh, Colton Cole had scored two winners in a row. He now had six for the season. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, Colton Cole. I mean... 
I, I loved him. We loved him. We used to call him Bruno, excellent. didn't we? Yeah. He looked excellent. We thought he was a great prospect. Yeah. In the yeah. same way we thought Forsell was a great yeah. prospect. Well, he, he got Forsell. injured and then Forsell was down, injured. didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Got injured, absolutely. But suddenly there was another another player that we'd, we'd produced to look great. And I had wonderful hopes for him, I have to say. I thought, on this season, I just thought, why did he go to Wolves well, for uh, for loan? What was that all about, you know? I think I think he was the first, uh, arguably the first casualty of the Roman Abram- Abramovich era. You know, yes. I'm going to spend all this money and buy players like Hernan Crespo. We don't need young players. Yeah, it's true. And I often wonder, you know, alternative universe and all the rest of it, parallel universe, had that not well, okay, had that not happened, we would have been out of business. But if we, we suspend that disbelief for a second, maybe Carlton would have had a had a career at Chelsea. But he was never the same player for any of the other clubs he played no. for. Well, West Ham, he, he, had, West. he had a decent career at West Ham. Yeah, he did all right at West Ham. He's, yeah, he's, but he's, all right. I thought we were looking at the, a, a superstar there. The goal he scored against Sunderland was fabulous. Big swivel on the edge of the area. Great with great header of the ball. Scored uh, all of those six goals. Seemed to be. You know, top banana, beat players, go around them, put it into the corner. Uh, I, I was really impressed by him. I never felt he was the same, the same standard of player playing for the Hammers. Well, I mean, Desai, you know, on the on the on the season review DVD, said he thought he was a great striker, thought he was better than Heskey. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not, but yeah. I think he meant it as a good thing. He, he called him his guy, didn't his he? His guy. Initially? I wondered who he was talking about for a minute, and I realised. But I mean, you know, Heskey was an international player. And I mean, I know we laugh, but he was a decent player. He played for some some decent clubs. Let's be honest. Player, yeah, yeah. So you know, he's comparing a kid who's nineteen, yeah. saying he's better than Heskey. You know, we 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 let we let one go there. But I think he was, as I said, I think he was a casualty of Abramovich coming in and splashing all this cash. So we'll never yeah. know. Uh, I think that Colton, he 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 certainly puts himself in the West Ham camp now. He's always on there, talking more about them than he ever does with us. So maybe he's a bit bitter. Who knows? Uh, no, I don't know if it's a bit bitter because, again, I think if you watch West Ham's Europa League run this season, him and Joe Cole make a great double act. Yeah, and, and again, you know... They're almost like it, brothers, Mark. Uh, yeah, yeah. well, obviously they've got the same, the same surname. Uh, and I'm sure from memory, I think why he's held in such esteem in West Ham, didn't he actually score the goal that won the playoff final against somebody? I can't remember. So he got them promoted. And he also won an England cap while he's at West Ham as well. He? He, he did. He won an England cap. So, yeah. yeah. And, and the strange thing is, he actually signed a new contract at the end of the season for six years. And then a brand which comes in and it all goes a bit crazy after that. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm right in that assertion that he was a casualty of, of Abramovich's yeah. uh, money spending. Uh, we then go to Villa away. Now, bear in mind, you know, we're... We're still. I'm just checking where we are on the table. Where are we after the Bolton match? We are. We're fourth, right? We're one point behind Newcastle. We're way out of winning the title. We're we're ten points behind United, seven behind uh, Arsenal. But we're we you know we should we should we should haul Newcastle and get third, right? You would have thought, wouldn't you? So off we go to Villa. Villa, by the way, are. Um, almost relegated well yep. they're not far off it I mean they're kind of what are they 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 they're 14th uh, but they're only 3 points above the relegation zone right so they're in the shit what happens? oh well Charity FC turn up don't they JK yes and we lose 2-1 um, uh, some decent goals that uh, Long yeah. striker all back scored yeah 
who was uh, I thought was a decent player. Actually, I remember seeing him a few times. But um, uh, th this is the kind of performance that just made the season so um, uh, upsetting. Really, I found this lack of consistency. Teams they should be putting away with ease, just yeah. failing to score against. And it and it cost us. It, it's yeah. costing us, you know, because we, as I said, we should really be third, lay second, but you know. Absolute stupidity. Uh, thankfully, though, Mark, we made it up in the next match. Now, uh, a point of order here. Uh, I was not in Gate 17 that day because by this time I'd flown out to America for a friend's wedding. I was I actually watched this match, the Everton match in Portland in Oregon. Um, I have to say, I will forever regret not being... Because I watched it on some shonky American channel, but... I, I, I regret to the day I die missing the last goal that Franco Zola scored for Chelsea and arguably, Mark, one of the best. Excellent goal. And I don't think everybody knew at the time that this was his last goal and he wouldn't be playing the following season. That was sort of like a well-kept secret. So, yep, yeah, bit of history being made. Tremendous goal, tremendous performance. And again, how many times have we said we all seem to do well against Everton at home? Mm. It's our performances at Goodison Park where we let things slide and slip there but yep, yeah, Ida, Jimmy Gronkia and Zola, four very good goals, so we bounced back from the poor performance at Villa Park who by the way, only stayed up by three points at the end of the season mm. but that wow. win over Chelsea helped keep him in the division. It did, didn't yeah. it? It did JK, that, that Zola goal it kind of floats over the top uh, and he just... It was a big, big gallus boot it from upfield, yeah. from uh, from the left back position, uh, and um, he he just helps it on its way with the outside of his right boot, Zola, and it is phenomenal vision, timing, accuracy, and just uh, a, a great goal from a great player having a great season. And um, and he should have won something this season with that kind of display. Um, and he should have been playing in every game, not taken off when he was taken off, not substituted when he was uh, not coming on as a substitute. He, he I know he was 36. I mean, perhaps occasionally he was giving him a rest. But uh, this kind of class um, should have been allowed to express itself more in this season, it being his last season. He was completely remarkable this season. That was his 16th goal, a, a superb player and uh, a superb season. Indeed it was. I was very upset to miss that game. Uh, I also missed the next one, which was Fulham at home, because I was still, I think I was, by this time I was in Canada. So I stayed over there for a little while. Uh, it's a rather uh, disappointing one-all draw with Fulham. Bearing in mind, we're still, you know, trying to chase down a Champions League place, and it's by no means guaranteed at the moment. I mean, after the Fulham match, we're still fourth. We're still a point behind Newcastle. Uh, Goma scored an own goal on 39 minutes for us and then Boa Morte scored an equaliser for them on 66 minutes. The best thing to say about this match, unless these two have got anything to say about it, is that it was Kike De Lucas's final appearance. Oh, thank goodness. Kike fucking useless, as I called him. Mm. Um, uh, as opposed to De Lucas. Um, he, um, uh, his was one of the most bizarre signings and the fact that he ever played at all was beyond um, the realms of of idiocy. He was just awful. It was it was like 
you know, we got rid of Jokanovic and swapped him with another player who just did not, was not good enough to play in this team. Um, uh, I remember this being one of those games where we just hit the bar a lot, you know, you just, which is the, you, you can never, you can never pour cold water on, on the Blues attempts at scoring. They had such terrific forwards and they were, and, and uh, Frank as well, just constantly shooting. They they just were some very good goalkeeping, some lucky goalkeeping, and great deal of woodwork in this game. Yeah. And of course, what normally happens, you're only one nil up, and give the opportunity for one shot from the opposition, which was Boamorte, the dead snake, and uh, it um, it's they scored to make it one one. <laughs> Boamorte, the dead snake. They are love dead snake. That is very superb. good. Very good. Right. A bit a bit a bit of Kike to Lucas. Uh, remember what we said at the start of the show. Uh, where does Kike De Lucas end up soon after? Mercia. With Jukanovic? Well, no, it might be a different team, but he was playing for a team in Mercia soon after leaving Chelsea. Mm. And do you know the final club he ends his playing career with? Go on. This would be a brilliant quiz question. And if anyone knew this, I'd take my hat off to them. His final club, he plays for Biggles Wade United. In, who are members of the Spartan South Midlands League in Bedfordshire? I have no idea. Yeah, what the lure of playing in England? He couldn't. Why? Why? Why he? Why he was at Biggles Way United? That's yeah. insane. That is yeah, insane. Yeah. About his level, though. To be fair, but um, there, there, there's a twist. Who is the chairman of Biggles Way United? Ridsdale. No. Guillaum Balugay, the Spanish football journalist. Oh, William Ballbag. He, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's the chairman of Biggleswell United. So whether that was how T.K. Galukas ended up with Biggleswell United. Yeah. When Who was knows? this? How old was he then? Was this when he was about 35 or something? Yeah, 2015. Oh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. All right. We're now going into May. We're fourth. Bear this in mind. We're fourth. We're a point behind Newcastle who are in third. Uh, more to the point. We are how many points ahead of Liverpool? Oh, absolutely zero. Uh, it's neck and neck. Liverpool are on 48 points. Uh, I do apologise. We are After the Fulham game, we're now four points behind Newcastle in third. We've got... Oh, no, I'm, I'm going completely fucking bonkers here. Wrong, wrong one. After the Fulham game... Right. After the Fulham game, two matches to play. We're one point behind Newcastle on 65. We've got 64. We're dead level with Liverpool who are on 64. However... We have, uh, I think, uh, no, they have a better goal difference than us. Seven plays five. So it's very nip and tuck and a bit, you know, squeaky bum time, to say the least. So we've got two games left, uh, away against West Ham and at home against Liverpool. West Ham are currently uh, 17th, uh, deep in the shit. They're five points away from Bolton, although they've got a game in hand on them. Uh, but they are very, very, very likely to go down. All right. We go and play them at Upton Park in our penultimate match of the season, where if we win, we would have relegated them. Happy days. And, of course, we may have gone above uh, Newcastle, which would have made sure we ended up in third. Mark, what happened? Paolo Di Canio again. Mm. They did the double over us, but they still get relegated the following week. Yes. And, and do you know what? They would, have, they, would have, they would have been happy with that. 
West Ham we would have been happy with that. West Ham yeah. fans would have been more happy about doing the double over us. They wouldn't have given a shit about getting relegated. Well, relegated. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, they Jay, sang sorry. at the end of the game. They they sang Paolo Di Canio, Paolo Di Canio, Paolo Di Canio at the end after he'd scored. He's but he he he, he scored great goals to Canio. I, I thought he was a terrific player. Clearly, slightly away with the fairies, but uh, um, you wonder whether they should have built a team around him or I didn't obviously didn't watch West Ham that season so I don't know how consistent he was but that was his uh he scored against us at the bridge didn't he and yeah, he scored well, a couple um, of goals one of the wonderful worldy, goals yeah, yeah. yeah worldy that's right the my, my highlight of this for me was that um um my friend Eddie Levy who I went to the game with um rather foolishly as we came out of the ground said in a very posh voice well that was uh, that was a bit of a shame wasn't it as we said that and some bloke west ham fan saw him and decided that he was a a posh see you next tuesday and chased him all the way back to the station uh but not me and i chased after them both um uh, trying to see what was possibly going to happen so i'm running after my friend who's running away uh, being chased by this bloke and he very fortunately as he was about to be caught up because he was uh, getting slightly knackered by the pursuit of this bloke, um, just dived into a group of policemen um, who um, and women who uh, looked at him very strangely as he just said, I wonder if you could help me from this man who was chasing after me. And the bloke then obviously disappeared um, rather swiftly. But I then sidled up and the police said, is it him? And he went, no, 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 that's my friend Jonathan. No, 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 don't arrest him because I've been chasing after them as well. So... Uh, but, yeah. Did you say this is my actual friend? <laughs> Don't arrest him. He's a friend of Dorothy's. Yes, he's a friend. No, he's who's he a friend of? Dorothy? He's a friend of Susanna. Susanna. Oh yes. <laughs> oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, such is the life going down to Upton Park, of course. Um, I mean, Decanio. I love Decanio. I've got to be honest. I mean, it's one of the funniest autobiographies I've ever read. I mean, his. On one 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 page, you've got uh, his recipe for tiramisu, followed by the next page his indulgence with Italian fascism. Only Di Canio can write an autobiography like that. Plus, of course, he had a great relationship with uh, Gianluca Vialli, who wanted to sign him for Chelsea a lot. It never quite happened. Nevertheless, I used to absolutely delight. Pa- uh, you know, uh, Jonathan sitting there saying that all the West Ham fans would sing Paolo Di Canio, Paolo. I used to absolutely delight every opportunity I got in singing Fuck Off Dear Canio, Fuck Off Dear Canio. In fact, I remember getting a chant of Fuck Off Dear Canio going in Gate 17 in the game earlier in, in the season. It's one of those lovely moments when you start a song and then the whole of the stand join in. But I started... Those poor, poor people who start songs off and nothing happens. I always feel very sorry for them. You've got to be loud and persistent. Yes. I yes. am both Most... of those things. Bloke starts off next to me, and he's on his own for a bit, and then somebody else you've got sings. To, you've got to pick the right else. song. Yeah. It's all about the moment. You see, at yeah. that moment, everybody hated Di Canio. And it so was perfect It was per- Like, yeah. I get up, fuck off Di Canio, and suddenly the entire Matthew Harding is as one. It's a beautiful moment. So these are the things we live for, Jacob, or me, anyway. And that, yeah. that I probably had five points. No, that was before I had the five points of Stella thing. <laughs> so I can do it. I can do it unoiled as well as well-oiled. Anyway, we digress. Um, this was really, really, really annoying. I mean, to lose to West Ham uh, is annoying at the best of times. To lose to them when we could have relegated them even more so. But to lose to them when, you know, as I said a minute ago, it's squeaky bum time here, people. You know, as a result of losing... 
Uh, we're still in fourth. Uh, we now can't catch Newcastle. They're nailed on third. They're four points ahead of us. As as luck would have it, um, you know, Liverpool had screwed up uh, by losing to Man City at home. 2-1, would you believe? Um, Anelka scoring both goals, I think. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, thank God for that. Uh, City did us a favour and they beat Liverpool uh, 2-1, which meant that Liverpool and us were exactly on the same points. And as I said, they had a better goal difference. Uh, I think. No, we, we did. No, we did. We were plus. We did. Are you sure? Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm, yeah, we did, didn't we? Of course. Yes, I know. I, of course, we did. The reason I know that is because we now go into the last game of the season against Liverpool at home. Everything to play for in terms of Champions League qualification. Now we only need a draw. Hence, we had a you know we had a better goal difference uh, again uh, than the Liverpool. Now in the previous match, the West Ham match, that was the last appearance uh, of Jody Morris and Bolo Zenden. Um, this match was to see the last appearances of Graham Rousseau and uh, Gianfranco Zola. More of that in a minute. Liverpool have not... Now, this, this, this actually, to be honest, Mark, this, this really surprised me. But Liverpool have not won at the bridge for 13 years, um, which I thought was amazing. And it's also the biggest seated crowd ever at the bridge. I think this is one of the most... At the time, it was fairly unique in the Premier League that you had effectively a playoff for the Champions League uh, final place. Now... What we didn't know at the time, although there were inklings and rumblings and rumours about it, but I don't think any of us realised quite how... We all knew it was important. We all knew that we could, you know, we needed to get into the Champions League. We knew the financial position was not good. I don't think any of us knew that had we not done this, we might have gone out of business a couple of weeks later. And it was that serious. But anyway, as you can imagine, the atmosphere was just utterly ramped up. I mean, incredibly tense. An amazing atmosphere. Really good to see all the players saying in the interviews around that time just how massive and brilliant the atmosphere was and how important the supporters were on the day. Uh, just to add uh, add a little sprinkling of something else in there, John Terry was out injured. So, you know, given given how, how good John Terry is and how important he was becoming to us, that was a, a bit of a... A bit of a blow. Now it all started horribly because Sammy Hippia scored a head, scored a headed goal after eleven minutes, but Marcel Desai scored an absolutely brilliant header from quite uh, a long way away from the goal. It was in the penalty area, but a brilliant header. Uh, three minutes later, and of course like, one forgets this with the mist of time. But uh, you know, Jesper Gronkow scored what, what ended up being the winner uh, on twenty-seven minutes. With uh, I mean, again, I had a superb view of this because it was uh, right up our end. And he literally slipped as he kicked the ball, which is why he managed to get the bend on it, which put it into the corner. Uh, if he hadn't have slipped, he'd have probably put it about 20 yards wide like he normally did. Yes. Uh, but it was a brilliant goal. But I, I forget, JK, completely that, that he scored that relatively early and that basically we clung on for another 63 minutes. Yes, you, one always thinks it, it was late. later I, in the I, second I, yeah, half. I, yeah, I was thinking about 80 minutes or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it, it was then... Uh, the rest of the game was um, uh, has vanished from my brain in the mists of time. But uh, the goal will just always be there. And it was nice to see it on the video with him falling over and clipping it into the corner. Um, the, the nice thing about this game, although is they, there was, this was a time where um, the new kit would always be played in the last two games of the season. And, uh, and it was, this was, there it was. So you have the bizarre thing of, Gianfranco coming on wearing kit that he only actually played for played him for one game 
Uh, and occasionally you see pictures of him in that kit and you know that uh, uh, this was his, um, he'd come on as a substitute. This was the last time he played for Chelsea. And once again, I've no idea why he didn't play from the beginning. Um, uh, but um, he came on and, and there's a wonderful clip that is played frequently of him just um, mesmerising the Liverpool players with his skill in the corner, um, beating player after player. Um, which is well, JK, is like JK, it was, it was right towards the end of the match. I mean, as you rightly said, yeah. uh, Franco came on on 72 minutes, but yeah. I'd yeah. say it was about he was running the clock down effectively, so it was in, it was in the last few minutes. But he basically it, just beat uh Carragher about three, he gave Carragher <laughs> twisted blood, yeah. and, yes, and, and was just they just couldn't get the ball off him. I mean, he was absolutely it was mesmeric, as you said, it was like, yeah. like a cat, you know, with a mouse, it was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? It was. Um, interestingly, um, in, in Graham Lasso's book, he said that Trevor Birch got him in the day before the game to say, um, I'm counting on you to to lead this match, um, to lead all the players in this match, because it is uh, unbelievably important and we may indeed fold if we're not in the Champions League next season. And he writes that he, you know, he was a little bit disturbed by the amount of pressure that was being put on him. And they took them the night before to... Um, a hotel in Hyde Park, and they had a, a lecture from a, uh, a Vietnamese vet, veteran. And he said that he went to bed thinking about killing Viet Cong <laughs> rather, than, rather than actually having a match against Liverpool the following day. <laughs> I, wish I'd, I wish I'd known that because when I, I, I worked with uh, Lasso, I quite liked him actually. I'd love to have asked him about that. Because, you know, yeah. I, I told you last week what he told me about Ranieri. Yes. Yeah, I'd love to have asked him about that. I wish I'd known that. He 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 went to bed dreaming of killing Viet, yes, Viet, Cong. Viet Cong, and instead instead he, he woke up the next day killing Scousers. It's much the same thing, really. Although although um you know I I forgot all about this. Gerard get I thought I thought that Gerard got sent off very late in the game just for being a cock. Basically, I could imagine in my head it was Gerard running around being really petulant because they were losing and he hates losing against Chelsea. But he actually he he tried to break Lasso's leg. Yeah, I think he'd been wound up a lot in the game. I think we should be fair about. It. I think he was doing that thing as well of of constantly getting at the ref. He had that ability, didn't he, in games where they weren't winning, which he would repeat consistently in all the Champions League game league games over the next few seasons. He would get um, really irritated by things and uh, and and kick players repeatedly and whine at the referee, and that was why. I mean, you know, a terrific competitor, but my goodness me, what an irritating, irritating player to watch. An irritating Gareth, in fact. Indeed, very well expressed, Chidge, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Mark, you and I, I know for a fact, I can't remember what J, if JK did, but I, I certainly have this in one of my, my in my in the My Chelsea's that we both did. We had this in, as one of our best games, didn't we? Oh, tremendous game. Tremendous game, tremendous atmosphere, remarkable performance, and so much riding on it. Whether you know, they had someone in talking to the players the night before in that hotel in Hyde Park, no question, they had to win this game. There was a real risk that Chelsea would either go out of business or they would have a fireside sale similar to what Leeds United had throughout this season. We were heavily in debt. Um, I mean, for my, I mean, you know, I was a little bit too young, really, for you know, for Bolton away. When we could have gone down to the third, and in all likelihood, as we as we remember, because we 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 did the review of that that season, didn't we? That could have led to us going out of business. This is 
uh, the you know the, the the slightly younger generation's Bolton moment. I think in terms of you know in a hundred years' time when people are doing what we're doing now, mm. God help us. You know this will be like one of the most important matches in Chelsea's history ever because of you know if they hadn't have won it and got in the Champions League, nothing else follows. No Roman Abramovich club going out of business, going into admin, certainly doing a Leeds, possibly ending up in the second, third, maybe even fourth division. I mean, it was that, you know, that was the scenario. We didn't know this at the time. Uh, we didn't really even know it when Roman bought the club. I mean, it was not, I, I mean, I, I'm just trying to remember when we absolutely realised how close we would have been to it all going tits up, Mark. Uh Mentioned it earlier, I, I was in that position where I knew we were in danger of going tits up from sort of like good, reliable people sort of sharing information with me. So I, I knew how serious this was. I knew there was a danger of having to sell Hasselbank, having to sell John Terry. Um, Barcelona, who sold us, Zenden wanted their money. Marseille wanted their money for William Gallis. Uh, Petit, I think, was it Arsenal we bought Petit from? We probably did. Uh, everyone wanted, yeah, it's like, like I said earlier. You know, once the word gets out there that you are in financial difficulty, people smell blood. Yeah, and, and people were coming after our blood. They wanted their money because you know, they saw we were high risk. They saw the debts. So they saw the £99 million debt. They knew the £75 million euro bond existed. You know, for crying out loud, we'd actually put a statement at the stock exchange saying we were trying to get a, a suitor in. So we were in significant financial difficulty. The Bates plan about, you know, all the income off the pitch, helping the team on the pitch. At that point, hadn't worked. You know, the hotels weren't as busy as they should have been. The Millennium Suites were barely being used. Oh, all the things that now have sort of generated income, and obviously we're down at the hotel today, and a lot of people staying there. At that time, Chelsea ran out of time. They literally ran out of time. And obviously, we'll talk about the next show. Uh, Abramovich comes to Chelsea's rescue. Yeah. So even. We got into the Champions League. We still needed to sell the club. Blimey. Yeah, it was it was really close, wasn't it? I mean, given all of that, I mean, how, how important and how unsung uh, is Trevor Birch in the in the history of Chelsea? Because, I mean, ultimately, not only was he... I mean, OK, he might not have rescued us had we not gotten the Champions League. I accept that. But he did find Abramovich. He did. Yep. I know Trevor Birch has an important role to play in Chelsea history. Yeah, he was brought in to do a specific job, uh, sort out the debt and towards the end, find a new owner. Um, and he succeeded in his mission. And then he went on to um, Leeds, didn't he? I think he sort of like tried to tie up Leeds' mess. And I think, is he now, is he chairman of the English Football League? I can't remember where he is now. So he's, he's doing well with his, his career now. But he played a really important role this particular season in sort of saving Chelsea Football Club and should get an enormous amount of credit for that. He should indeed. I mean, it was quite um, a bizarre season. I mean, I said to to uh, Mark earlier, JK, you know, remembering our, our end of season review um, for last season, you know, the, the season we've just had, where Abramovich, of course, left. And I said, you know, we had that question, which is the season that last season reminds you most of? And I said 2002-3, uh, uh, as in this season. Having just reviewed it, it makes me even more uh, kind of certain that that's the case. You know, we we were close, but not close enough. We get into the top four by the skin of our teeth. Uh, we have periods of the season where we, you know, have got all these great strikers, but they can't score. 
Um, we end up having a new owner. I mean, we could have gone out of business. I mean, we could have done if if uh, Mad Nads had had her way. There were so many weird similarities. It felt like a similar season of close but not close enough. Massive disappointments along the way. I'm thinking of Arsenal, Vikings to Wanger, of course. Weird similarities, I think. Very different footballing styles. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, long, lots of long ball and players who would shoot on sight. Uh, I was just thinking about you know, how would they get on against a, a, a Tuchel side who um, controlled the midfield, pressed and passed sideways and hardly ever shot. Uh, how, how well would a Hasselbank do playing? He probably wouldn't. He'd probably um, be stifled by his, the role he would have to play. But uh, I, I can't help but compare Lukaku with um, Hasselbank, who uh, the amount of energy, the amount of running, the amount of skill that um, uh, Hasselbank had um, is, is so different from uh, the £97 million bag of cement that uh, you despair. Apparently, apparently his return to Inter Milan is a heavier bag of cement than the one he left. Has <laughs> he really? Yes. They've all been complaining it? about it. We could have told gone... them that, the fat lump. Yes, yeah, indeed, who made no fucking effort. Uh, with probably the same arse cheeks as Good Johnson, but all over. Um, but um, uh, yes, and, and, and similarly... Um, uh, an element of the unknown with going into the new owner, as we had with Abramovich as well. So uh, when Abramovich started, we had no idea what was going to happen. We just, and it was only I found that the the knowledge that the that we'd almost become bankrupt and had to sell anybody, anybody seeped out at the beginning of the season that Abramovich took over. Um, so uh, uh, I think with any new owner, they've got always got these these unknowns as to how they're going to contribute. I think of the. Think of the uh, um, the lesser sides who somebody takes over and they they actually manage to um, worsen the situation of the uh, of the team. There's so many teams have been taken over by owners, and you've, there's a complete false dawn. In fact, the reality is is the owner is hasn't got the money or um, isn't capable of of sustaining the the money for the season or employs the wrong team. Um, a team of people to look after it, which is a possibility we may experience. We, we don't know what's happening with Bowley at the moment, whether he's um, um, treating it as from an American style, an American angle, which is incorrect for the way that the Premier League goes, and he's finding out himself. We will see. But, um, we will see. Can, can, can I possibly just read you a few things? That, yes, um, from Soxie's book. From Soxie's autobiography, yeah. Um, he talks about the bizarre selection habits of the Tinker Man, I didn't like them, but I got used to them. Um, uh, it stripped the comforting rhythm out of training. He stripped the comforting rhythm out of training and preparing for games with his choices of uh, fitness experts and coaches. Um, it sometimes felt to some players as if um, it didn't matter how well they played or trained because that wouldn't have any effect on whether you were in the team for the next game. Your form wasn't the way it worked with Ranieri. I found his methods difficult to take seriously. He would have us train in one formation for five days, then change to another for the game on Saturday. You thought you were in the first 11 and all week, and then on match day, he would drop you. It was hard to build up relationships with players when, constant, when they were constantly being changed. Um, how can you go from being involved in all the drills about defending set pieces on a Friday 
to not playing on the Saturday. It was unpredictable and unsettling. Uh, there was a period where Gus Poyet, before he was transferred, translated because Ranieri spoke no English at all. And you felt on the training ground he was practicing his English because he would shout out numbers that didn't seem to make any sense. One, five, three, two. Um, when Gus was left out because uh, he was translating because they both spoke Spanish, um, he told Ranieri he could stick his translating up his backside and consequently was sold soon after. Um, Ranieri's training, hard running all season, uh, very tired by the end of every game. Apart, as I said, Frank enjoyed and flourished with the running. Ranieri got rid of all senior players he thought would be a threat to his authority. Frank won all the longer, longer runs. Um, uh, and everything he wrote, this is the Birch story, everything riding on European qualification um, because they thought they would get 20 million from the Champion League estimate. Um, uh, yes, and they spent the night at the Royal Lancashire Hotel for the Liverpool game in Hyde Park with the change. And Franco was left out and wasn't upset. All he wanted was the team to win. He says what a wonderful person Franco was and how everybody loved him. Well, you know... I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I, I'd like, I've not read this book and I, I really need to go and get it. It's called Left Field. Yeah. It's a good book. I've read it. It's a really good yeah, book. Good yeah, good book. I like yeah. the show. I like Burge. Yeah. I, I've got some great, I've got a great picture of me and Burge somewhere, I think. But I think, I think that that, that sort of, that um, emphasises what, uh, I felt I was a lone voice at the time. I was disturbed by everybody cheering Ranieri when we qualified the Champions League because I, I felt that he, you know, we'd gone about it completely the wrong way. We ended up qualifying for the Champions League and uh, uh, when we should we should have finished second. We, we, uh, we, the season for me was was once again disastrous by his his flailing about just as Soxie says, choosing players almost on a whim. And I wonder whether he was actually a nasty piece of work, Ranieri. He actually decided, I don't like you, so I'm going to muck about with your with the season with you. I'm going to pick somebody else, even though you've played well. Because it this doesn't seem to me to be what football is based upon. If you train well and you and this team is winning, you keep the same team. You don't muck about with it. It's 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 that's managerial practice if there's a rhythm and a pattern as he says you get to know all the players around you by playing regularly with them and if somebody can't be be picked it's the manager's decision they don't make it into the first team but it sustains a, 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 a there's a there's a level of competence a level of excellence and everybody's used to where other people would be you are you and you trust everybody as a consequence you don't if somebody else comes in they're not used to playing um, that they, you're behind you. You're thinking he doesn't play the same way. I've got to get used to them. Whereas with so many players, there becomes, as we've seen in the past, it becomes like a um, symbiotic relationship. It's just something you know where somebody will be. You just have to run into the position and the ball is delivered because you're so used to playing with them. And and I, I, for me, Ranier just absolutely cocked everything up. And my assessment of of Bates as an as as a, a chairman was was so. Um, uh, my, his knowledge of football was so um, um, lowered by his giving him a five-year contract because it meant that he didn't actually see what was going on on the pitch either. Perhaps Bates liked the fact that he he got tried to get rid of people who who he felt he didn't who crossed him or questioned his authority. But that's not 
football management this that's that's almost like being a schoolmaster you don't like somebody so you marginalize them or being a a bad employer and I, I chelsea didn't need that chelsea had a an excellent excellent selection of players and had the the possibility of finishing in the top 3 second and and going on to win trophies they should have won a trophy this season it's such a good side and uh, and he cocked it completely ranieri well, Jonathan, I have to say I, I applaud you because you've you've backed up your, uh, you know, opinion and vitriol with some bloody good background facts. There, I like Thank that you. a lot. No, well done, mate. Um, Mark, um, you know your assessment of the season. I think you'd have to say how it ended, um, a successful end to the season, but it was a what might have been season for me. We should have done a lot better with the players that we had. We should have, as JK said, finished second. Definitely should have finished third. We should have done better in the FA Cup. You know, Arsenal had the Hooli sign over us and actually a shocking exit very early on, you know, in the uh, UEFA Cup. Yeah. So for me, good players didn't make the best use of the good players that we had. I think the most startling statistic for me for the season, when we compare it to last season and it's almost like a deja vu comparison, um, is on the last show we talked about Gudjonsson and Hasselbank getting 52 goals between them the previous season. This year, they got 29. Even if you put Zola's goals in there as well, it still doesn't get up to 52. So that was one of the problems as well, not making the best use of three of the best forwards that we had at the club for any other season, never mind this particular season. And I don't think he ever knew what his true best side was. I think you can only then look at the sort of the 11 players who played the most probably were his best team, but he didn't play them together often enough and he didn't play the same side often enough. It was very rare, as he said earlier, to play the same side. So I think I was delighted we got into Champions League, so very pleased that happened. But I think that's down to the players. Don't think it was necessarily down to the manager. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. I mean, I think the comparisons with the last season, you know, 20, uh, 21 to 22 are are very pertinent. I mean, yeah, I think you you both summed it up brilliantly. I mean, I, or, or the only other thing I would say is that, you know, there were some good points in the season two, rejuvenated Zola, uh, top scorer, 300th game, vote at all-time greatest player. Lampard, I thought, improved his game immeasurably this season. The signs looked very, very good with him. Carlo Cudicini was proved to be one of the best keepers in the league. In fact, he won the Golden Glove, as we know. Um, and we had pretty much been in the top four all season, really. You know, and we did get Champions League football, even though we left it horribly late. Uh, Lampard and Gallus were top appearance makers of 48, as you said. Uh, Franco won the Player of the Year. Um, but, of course, we did say farewell to Franco, although it was a weeny bit protracted in the next few weeks, which we'll cover uh, in the next show. Uh, we also lost Graham Lasso, uh, as Jonathan was alluding to earlier, and Morris and Zenden. Um, quick, quick words. I mean, we can, we can. I think we'll leave the farewell to Zola for the next show, but uh, maybe we'll leave them all to the next show because by then we'll know that they've really, really gone. Um, but uh, that pretty much is the season that was the 2002-2003 season. As I said to you earlier on, Mark, you know, when we when we're having lunch today with the with the trust, and I think also at the beginning of this show. You know, this is my first season as a season ticket holder at Chelsea. I'd never experienced watching Chelsea quite like this before. You know, going this regularly, like every week, you know, going to the game, 
with a whole bunch of mates drinking far too much Stella, as we discovered. Yada yada yada, and a lot of the internal politics and the and the mayness of it all kind of passed me. But I was just so happy to be there and happy to have found. You know, I mean, it sounds a bit corny, but this is clearly what I'd been looking for. I hadn't really connected and got like you lot, who I love to pieces, who have got this for so much longer. And I really, I really felt part of something. I really, it was just I can't, can't, I can't even find the words to describe it. But a lot of this other stuff passed me by. I was just so fucking happy to be doing this week in, week out. No, I, I, I get that. I completely understand that. And again, as I said in the last show. After being a bit nomadic, uh, we by now are in the seven stars, and you know uh, we're there for a few more years. Yeah, and it was a great pub. Um, and sometimes what happened on the playing pitch didn't really matter because it's sort of the company you keep and the people you go to football is far more important. Um, so I, I can I completely get that. I think just the thing about this season, it was a good end to it. It could have been even better with that team and those players. It should have been, Mark. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Well, as we all know, next season, it all changes massively for one very simple reason, a certain Mr. Roman Abramovich. And uh, we will be returning very soon to do that show, and we're going to have an additional guest with us. It'll be me, Mark, and JK, as always. But we're going to welcome on board the absolutely delightful, wonderful, beautiful, lovely man that is Marco Worrell. And there's a very good reason about that, because he literally wrote the book, on the next season that we're going to do, which is the 2003-04 season. So uh, can't wait to be doing that one. And until then, uh, everybody take care. It's been great fun doing the show, as it always is doing these shows. We will see you for the next one. Up the chills. Up the chills. Looking forward to it. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.